has often been said that the great Gene Shalit can review movies in his sleep. In January of 2008, Al Roker put that theory to the test by sneaking into Gene's dressing room with a hidden camcorder. Warning, the shakiness of these images is disturbing. Cloverfield. More like Grover Peeled. Because a creature in this fucking thing looks like a skinned Muppet. Twenty-seven dresses. More like twenty-seven messes. Because that's how many times this sickening shit show gave me diarrhea. Mad money. More like go fuck yourself, Diane Keaton. Coming soon. This summer. At theaters everywhere. Opening weekend. Read it R. Welcome to episode 68 of Opening Weekend. I'm Jason O'Connell, and I am once again joined by my dear friends, Fred Berman and Dan Matisa. And this week, we travel back to January 18th, 2008, and the release of Matt Reeves' Cloverfield, the J.J. Abrams-produced handheld shaky cam monster mash that ruled the box office while giving audiences seizures from coast to coast. Also, as if to assert that Heath Ledger's accidental overdose was not the biggest Hollywood tragedy of the week, Catherine Heigl's 27 Dresses and Diane Keaton's Mad Money were also released. Did I like them, you ask? Only time will tell. <laughs> but first, Fred and Dan, where were you boys in mid-January 2008? Wait, Keith Ledger, Keith, is it Keith? Heath Ledger. Yes, Keith, Keith Ledger. Ledger. Did, Keith Partridge, did Keith Partridge die this week? Did Heath, Heath, Le- did Heath Ledger die this very week? He died three days after these movies came out. Ay, ay, he died ay. January twenty second, two thousand eight. And is it still a? Uh, is it still a mystery? Is there still mystery surrounding it? I remember there was at the time. It's but someone blamed the Olsen twins, namely uh, me. <laughs> they were with him, or one of them was with him. But, uh, fault, no, they had. He had back problems, and he had. I don't think it was ever considered back to problems. be anything. Yeah, he had like he had yeah, I don't I know from know. from a stunt or something. He was on medication. He was on like um he was basically, you know, addicted to painkillers right. for for something he Well, anyway, God bless you Heath Ledger. You were great. You was amazing. I know it was very sad. I remember them. I remember seeing sitting in our old apartment. You had already moved out and uh and I okay. had taken over your room, right? It was 2008. You were living in another part of Astoria. And I remember being on that that computer that you bequeathed me, the one that you left me, and like <gasps> doing some sort of other, like doing emails. And I remember it was like I bequeathed you the computer? Did you yeah, bequeathed, you did. bequeathed him? Queen's bequeathed Your old one. I think you had gotten. Oh, my uh, God. Uh, I think you had gotten like a Mac or something and you had an old PC that you. Wow. You left me. You left me. Yeah. And so I had moved out. You had moved out in 2006. Oh, right? so this, anyway. was the, this was right after the fame. Oh, in 06, I moved out. Yeah, oh. you moved out. How do I remember your life? You are so much good. better than you. You are good. And that prompted the famed ice cream boot to the rafters. 
<laughs> yes. The great line I'll never forget for the rest of my life. And how was it going for me having moved out? How was it going for you in there? I, I, I missed you, but it was oh, fine. It was, going, it, was going, it was going all right. It was going all right. But it's not, not about that. This was just to say, like, I can, it's one of those re- remember where you are moments. Like, I really did. I, somebody was like, Heath Ledger just died. I was like, what? And I remember going, for some reason, yeah. I was on the Daily News website. Whoever goes to the Daily News website, but I, I was wow. reading the report on that. And it was, yeah. You must have been devastated. I well, yes, and I mean, he He's had such had, a big fan of Dark Knight, but Dark Knight hadn't come out yet. That was the great tra- oh, tragedy, I'm an idiot, right? That's that right. He, he came that, out posthumously, right? Like, of course, he didn't. He never got to see the film. Nobody, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you'd seen the trailers, and it was like, oh, at first it was like Heath Ledger is the Joker. That's ridiculous. And people were really, you know, <laughs> negging on it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> and then there were a couple trailers out, and it was like, oh wow, that's. The laugh was chilling and you got a glimpse of his face. And it, but really, that was it. You've only seen a couple of photos of him. So that kind of built up the mythology around it. Um, so wait, so where were you? I mean, I love Heath, but I love you guys more. Where, Dan, where did you go? Oh, that's when you moved in with your, with your girlfriend at the time. Yes. And, and, and I, want, I went over to a different part of a story, only a few blocks away. But it's amazing with New York, you know, you can move a few blocks away and then, and then, Months go by and you don't see, you know, you don't see each other. But we still hung out, I think, for a fair amount. We yeah, did see each other in town. I saw yeah. you all the time. Yeah, I would still come over to the Sharma Shanty. You guys would come over and, uh, you know. Your apartment. You had a nice little apartment there. It was nice. And uh, uh, these two lovely, I don't know if they're still with us, but uh, this lovely older couple who were my, who were my landlords over there. But they turned out to be sneaky little. They turned out to be. These sneaky little, they, 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 if, if sneaky you. Sneaky little we, what? I move. <laughs> fuckers. Say it. They're fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> That's the word we're all expecting Thank to come you. out of your mouth. Thank you for putting words to the emotion. The, the, <laughs> the, so I moved to a different apartment in the building at one point and they, and at that time he said, oh yeah, it'll be this much money. And then the lease came. He's like, no, it's actually this much. This is what my, this is what, and I had already moved my stuff in. What? And so it was like. Wow, oh, no. your word is not your bond. Wow, you are you are a uh, you are a, no Sharma P Sharma, a swindler. Yeah, as that. Yeah, you're no Sharma P Sharma, and and we had a big uh, argument about. But this is what happens in New York. You got it. People who are thinking of moving to New York, get it in writing. Get everything in writing before you move your stuff in and paint the place and get ready because, and then I, that's, that's good advice everywhere. Just so you know, anybody listening to this in Des Moines, you should still get a lease. Before you listen to this podcast, get it in writing. Transcripts will be available from Damon. (laughs) Oh God. But you were already in there and. I don't understand. Like, I don't either. I still go back in my head and I go, wait, did I agree? Was it the, and yes, it was, we agreed to a different rent. Not the first time. The first time his word was his bond. When I moved within the building to a different place, he was like, yeah, you can move upstairs and it'll be this much. It'll be a little higher than what you're paying now, but it'll be, it'll be this much. Great. And then the lease came. He's like, no, actually it's not this much. This is the amount after I had already moved my stuff in. And the lease lease had been quote prepared by the lawyers or whoever. And I was like, what is this? And we had a Mm. massive, massive row about it. But, um, you know, did I stay in the place? Yes, because where the hell? Well, how else am I going to go? Move back in with Jason? No, thank you. Hey, I would have hey, lo- hey, loved. Hey. I would have loved it, but there was no more room for me. I had gotten too uh, large. 
large your, your with career, love. Your career, you mean. Your career. Got that um, right. This was, this was sort of a, a rough time mentally for me because I had just gotten back from doing a tour. I was doing the tour of Irving Berlin's White Christmas and oh. Kate was pregnant with Ben, with our, with our son. And uh, it was coming in March and I was, um, you know, having a bit of a crisis of conscience. I'm not, not proud of this. It was a rough time, but I was sort of, uh, yeah, I was sort of, I was, I was freaking out. I was, I was having a bit of a freak out at the time. Because uh, the baby was coming. Because the baby was coming. Yeah. Right? And I was it's on, natural. Who yeah, wouldn't? I was on this tour and it was, it seemed like a good idea at the time to go. I was like, oh, I got the show and they were paying me like a good amount. It was a, it was a small, like little featured role, but they were paying me a principal contract. And I was like, yeah, this will be nice and easy and I'll do it and it'll be fun and I'll stash some money away you know, before, before the baby gets here. And it just, it wasn't a great experience. It wasn't, I didn't have fun really. It was short. It was a short tour and it was very lonely. It was, mm. uh, everyone was very, very young. Um, and who did you play in that? I, I played, um, the, the, the two main guys. I, I can't remember their like agent friend, He's like a New York wheeler dealer. I, I literally had two scenes and they were very funny scenes, but like that was it. So it just seemed like easy. I can't remember the and characters. was this the tour of the Broadway show or the show that eventually went to Broadway? No, it was a, a different version. It was directed by Jeff Calhoun, who's lovely. Uh, and But it just, it didn't do well. It was actually one of the only shows I've ever done where it was like universally panned every, every city we got to yeah. the reviews were like, no, it's not, not that good. great of a stage show. I mean, I, I, I had a buddy who was in the, in the Broadway and he had a similar experience. He was like, this was not a good time. Yeah. It was weird. They, 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 there was a whole concept that they put behind it that it was like being filmed on a, Hollywood soundstage. So right. they just had all like the IATSE guys or all these guys like, you know, moving scenery all the time on stage. And I think the audience was just very confused. And finally, <laughs> by the, a couple of weeks in, they just sort of like cut all that. But it was just being on like, there was, I had no one to connect with on that, on that tour because everyone was like young and single and they were like, ew, you're married. You're having a baby. That's weird. <laughs> that is gross. Let's put, it, let's put it that way. I mean, they have to envision as soon as you say, yeah, I'm having a son. Now they're envisioning you, you know, uh, they're, they're envisioning the moment of conception and that, no one wants to envision that. <laughs> That's sexy. That part's the sexy part. You think so? All right. You're, you're right. Talk about a white Christmas. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. It was. <laughs> oh Lord. Snow, Lord snow, snow. That. Uh, yeah. So it was, it was, no, no. it was rough. I had a, I had a tough time on that. Uh, but then. But then I think around this week we'd started Lamaze classes. So oh, that's fun. Getting into cool. it, yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh! And that's all the 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 sort of the breathing your way through. So was the plan for this is going to get too personal? Was the plan for it to be no? no uh, what's the whatever drugs? The, yeah. Oh no! 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 Oh, no. so it was drugs plus Lamaze was the plan. Not just <laughs> we're just going to just do Lamaze. <laughs> Yes, drugs plus Lamaze. Yeah, no, it Equals was. Yeah, podcast. no, it wasn't going to be like you know completely natural, like out in the woods or you know whatever. With the, <laughs> Why not? Yeah, I mean we could have, we could have, uh, but uh, she was going to do the drugs plus Lombada method, which is a little <laughs> different than the Lamaze method. But, but the baby comes shooting out. We were actually going to do the Persis Kambada. <laughs> drug plus Persis Kambada. Yeah, for Megaforce. Oh, that's and, called the set of Megaforce. <laughs> drugs plus Persis Kambada. 
That's the method they employed. <laughs> I put on the blue bandana, you know, and as the baby came, the baby comes out, I go, the good guys always win. <laughs> <laughs> that baby came out like uh, that flying motorcycle, just, <laughs> just flipping over, just flipping over airborne. Oh, Go back, folks. Go back and listen band. to episode. What was that? Episode six. Six. Wait, just, is that right? Don't yeah, even six. go back. Just watch Megaforce. Go back and watch Megaforce. <laughs> yes. it's, yeah. it's, it's a lot more fun than a couple of the movies we're going to talk about. But anyway, what do you mean? yeah, Lamaze, um, I was breathing. What were you? Were you doing your heavy, deep breathing, Jason? At this always, time? always on were the phone to give birth? with various young ladies. Um, what yeah, part of just... he was living with Jeremy and Bob do you not remember? <laughs> there was a lot of heavy breathing happening. <laughs> we love you, Jeremy. Um, I was, what was I doing at this point? I was, um, uh, I was in a show for, um, our friends at Phoenix Theater Ensemble. What they called the, the Lifeblood. Uh, about, uh, about Mary Queen of Scots. Yeah. It was down at, I think it was down at the Connolly theater and it's, uh, by this amazing playwright, Glenn Maxwell. He's a poet and a playwright. He's fantastic. I think he was their playwright in residence for a long time. Yeah. You've spoken about him on the, on the, on the cast, on the podcast, the Wolf Pit, right? That was the other show. He did Wolf Pit, right? That show in 2006. Yeah. And, and, and he did a beautiful uh, adaptation of Cyrano, uh, de Bergerac as well, that I did like a, a staged reading of, you know, again, also for Phoenix. It was no ago. Jason O'Connell's adaptation of Cyrano. Oh, oh, pish, pish. Available <laughs> to be produced at any of your local regional theaters. That is correct. Many yes, is available. around the country. Uh, right yeah. now. Um, is it available? Rights are currently available. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, which I co-wrote with Brenda Withers, my dear friend who listens to the podcast all the time, who's a, a super genius. And I liked would- your parts better than yours. Yeah, I believe me. So do I. Um, <laughs> she's so good. She's so good. Yeah. What else was I do? I was about to go out of town. It's funny right now. I'm doing a, a Sherlock Holmes adaptation that my wife, uh, Kate Hamill wrote called Ms. Holmes and Ms. Watson apartment to B. We're doing that right now in Kansas city. But at this time I was, I think this week I was auditioning. I was the reader for, and then I got cast in a, a different Sherlock Holmes play called, uh, I think it's called Sherlock Holmes, The Final Adventure that Stephen Dietz wrote. And I was about to do that down mm. in uh, Arkansas Rep. And uh, uh, and that was a very that was a very fun show. I was about to go do that. And both shows directed by the same director, The Lifeblood and oh. The Sherlock Holmes were both uh, directed by Bob Hutt. That was the I think those are the first. That wasn't the first time I had worked with Bob. But I mean, that was two like two shows within the span of like two months. It's kind of odd to, to work with a director twice. Current artistic director of Syracuse Rapid stage where you've yeah. done many shows as well. Done many shows. And we're so very, very close friends. Now this was still at the point where even though the, I, what, what's wrong with my brain, even though the guy was hiring me like t- twice in a row, I'm still like, he doesn't like me. He doesn't like what kind of a fucked up vision of yourself. We've done 68 episodes together. And I still feel that way about you guys. <laughs> like they don't that like we me. don't like you or they that don't you don't like, like Jason. We, no, that Bob Hupp doesn't like me, oh, and you don't like me, and God doesn't like me. How many episodes of this podcast do we have to do before Bob Hupp likes all of us? <laughs> oh, what does that got to do with anything? Hang on, I'll be right back. I'll be right there. Hang on. What are you, me? Where are you going? <laughs> where's he going? Dan just left. We just got to the first movie. Now he's 
Damn it, just left. He quit the podcast. You're hearing it now, folks. I don't know what's happening. Like, this is like get back. This is like, this <gasps> is, we could just be sitting here. This is, he's George Harrison. He's, yeah. Where's Mal? Mal, give me, bring me a piece of paper. I need to write something about this. Uh, wait, he's back. Is he rejoining? Dan, we'll I'm let kidding. you play your own songs. We'll let you play your own <laughs> song. You get one song, no one idea. song a podcast. <laughs> going back and forth with this fucking pot of coffee like he's a Denny's waitress. <laughs> it's like, get a fucking tumbler. Get something. Get, I, Can you give me I, the I lumberjack get... special, Dan, please? <laughs> uh, what is that? Moons over my hammy? Or what is <laughs> <that>? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, here he comes. Speaking of, here he goes. Here he goes. What he doesn't know is this is all staying in. <laughs> <laughs> hey, <laughs> welcome back. Welcome back, Dan. All right. How you doing? Sorry. You okay? did, I, did you get a good tip? Wait, did you hear did you hear me say I'll be right back? <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay, good. And then oh, we saw God. you get up and walk away and refill your coffee and I, I said you to. look My like, a, de- you so look like a Denny's waitress <laughs> just coming around with the pot. Just <laughs> A refill. Oh God, <laughs> that's my. You dream want the job. strawberry syrup with that, <laughs> or the raspberry, honey? I have to tell this story real quick. There, was, we still do that because Taylor and I still do this. We went out to eat here at this place called Childers, and there was a kid walking around, <clears throat> just walking around the restaurant, just looping around the restaurant with a tray, and on the plate was was on the tray was a plate of hash browns, and he was just walking around going hash browns. <laughs> Ash Browns. <laughs> Ash Browns. It was like a Beckett play. It was, was insane. It's, a, it's like an art installation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly. At the MoMA. Exactly. He's Julian like, Schnabel Browns. presents Ash Brown. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. And we were watching this kid going, this poor fucker. And it was hilarious. He just wouldn't stop. He just kept going. <laughs> it, it went on for a solid, you know, three minutes of him trying to find what he's doing. He's trying to find who these Ash Browns are for. But his volume never went above Ash Browns. It was great. <laughs> so we still that, do that to this day, Taylor and I. And that takes us to <laughs> Hash Browns, the movie. I'd rather watch somebody trying to serve Hash Browns for two hours. You just remind me. I had a dream last night that I was watching the movie. Hamburger, We're never getting movie. to this movie, are we? That's okay. Which is probably for the best. Imagine if we just said, okay, we'll just wrap it up. How many shows for Mad Money? Uh, what were you going to say? What was your dream? I can't not. I, I said I had a dream. dream. I, I had a dream that I was watching the movie Hamburger, the movie. You know movie? <laughs> Wait, was that David Norton? Was he in that? Am I making I, that, that up? I can tell you. Because whoever, right. whoever was actually in it, I don't think showed up in the dream. Oh, wow. And were you like eating a hamburger while you watched it? What was the, what's the, just, what is I can't the, remember. Oh, it's because of the hash browns thing. You're saying I watched a movie called yes, Hamburger. Okay, I'm, I got I'm, it. Now I'm, I'm, no, I was trying to still trace the I'm, line of thought. I'm going Much the like place. the producers, <laughs> actors, writers, director, key grips of mad money. <laughs> After her husband loses his job, upper crust housewife Bridget Cardigan, played by <laughs> Diane Keaton. <laughs> 
Wait, was that her last name? You see how much I care about this fucking movie. Apparently, apparently. God, I was only when it? I looked it up on on the on the wiki. So maybe it's wrong. Maybe somebody was just like, "Oh, she wears this cardigan." So I'm just gonna say her name is Cardigan. No, that's what I. That's what I've got. Let's check it. Let's check because I can't believe that's her real name. Are the other characters named Overcoat and Vest? <laughs> Yes, they're all, they're all named pieces of clothing that you could hide money in. Someone actually tuned into this podcast because they're like a huge fan of Mad Money. And they're like, God damn it, I just, just talk about the movie. Hey, the okay, movie. all right, we're going to, we're going to. All right, after her husband loses his job, Upper Crust Housewife, Bridget Cardigan, yes, real name, played by Diane Keaton, is forced to take a job as a janitor at the Kansas City Federal Reserve. Okay. Spotting a weakness in the bank's security system, Bridget convinces her two new friends, Nina, played by Queen Latifah, and Jackie, played by Katie Holmes, to help her steal a fortune in worn-out bills that would have been earmarked for destruction. Also starring Ted Danson and Stephen Root, Mad Money would like to be able to say that it did indeed make Mad Money, yo, but in actuality, the film took in just $7.7 million over its opening weekend, leading to a $20.7 million domestic gross and only $26.4 million worldwide. Surprising. Fred and Dan, <laughs> what'd you boys think of Mad Money? I mean, when the movie started, I, I when you said that we were doing this movie, I had no recollection. I never even heard of it, I don't think. I was like, mm. wait, what? There's a movie called Mad Money? I had no idea. And then when you're like, yeah, Diane Keaton, Katie Holmes, Queen, I, I, I was a complete, complete surprise to me. And I, I watched it last night. I, I've, so all that being said, I never, I didn't see it when it first came out. It wasn't even on my radar. What? And when it first started, I thought, oh, this is going to be a nice surprise, I think. I That's really, what I thought, Fred. I, I found the beginning to be really intriguing. I even wrote down, I said, wow, this is sort of Breaking Bad-esque. Like mm. there was something, and which is, it's so far from the quality of what Breaking Bad was, but it, it was intriguing. I thought, okay, what's going on? Like, where, where? Well, it just, it just drops right in the, not even the middle. It drops in basically at the end of the story and, almost. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, and, yeah, and yeah. very interesting, you know, j- just the disparity between, you know, the three different, the leads, like what they're, the, what, seemingly what their lifestyles are like. And you're like, oh, how is this all connected? And then after that, I just didn't care. Then it, it just, <laughs> it all faded away. It was literally the, the first like two minutes, I'm like, this is intriguing. And then I'm like, I, why I don't. And it, everyone is, you know, it's all talented people in it. And I just don't know. I'm not exactly sure where it goes off the rails. I was looking it up and it was based on a true story. There was a oh. British movie called Hot Money. Based, yeah, I know it was which based, was based on, on a film, but I didn't know it was oh, based on a true story. Yeah, which sound which is actually I still think is a really fascinating story in real life that it was it was based on a it was a group of women who worked at the Bank of England and over a certain period of time they removed an unknown amount of money that was supposed to be destroyed. And that again that's something like I didn't know that happens. I mean, but of of, of course it's it makes great. sense, but you yeah. know the whole premise is that you know this money needs it's it's all old extra money, you know, and it needs to be shredded. So these women are like, well, why don't we just keep that mm-hmm. money and use it for mm-hmm. ourselves? Which is like, yeah, lot, that makes sense if you can figure out a way to do it. And the fact that it 
really happened is sort of amazing. And apparently from what I was reading, like no one know except for these women who are keeping mum, no one knows the exact details of the theft of how it happened. Uh, so mm. that to me, like that is so many possibilities. Like that could be a really, really cool sort yeah. of dark story too. It's a terrific idea. I just, I had no, especially for Diane Keaton, I had no sympathy. I had no, no sympathy. You know, I, I was like. doesn't create any. It no. creates none for her. And She's kind of Keaton, a jerk. But it's, yeah. She also keeps pushing them towards, you know, she's she displays a lot, you know, a lot of greed. And she's the person who seems to need it the least. Yeah. And she's the one who keeps By pushing far. them when they're, you know. Sell some of your many, many belongings, Diane Keaton. You have many thousands upon thousands of dollars of belongings in your beautiful home. Yeah. Sell some of them and then start uber-privileged white woman trying to convince this black woman to like risk her losing her children to like keep the thing going it's like yeah yeah, it's pretty problematic but that's fine but if you're gonna go that way look people are there are bad people there are entitled rich people i mean she's no longer rich in the movie she loses it you find out that you sort you know she sort of loses everything but that's fine then play that up the problem is Diane Keaton is, you know, she can't help but be. Well, no, that's not true because Diane Keaton can go deeper than the just the la di da, la di da, you know, cutesy. <laughs> of course, Diane Keaton, and she's a, she's a wonderful, incredible actress. She's one of my favorites of all time. Yeah, of so all I don't, time. I don't know I if it's her. her fault, but like, I feel like she there could have been something a little more insidious about if you want to go that route, which I think you sort of have to because she's the ringleader. But make it more insidious that she really is that clueless, and that there are more ramifications from the other characters like I think they think she, that's what they're doing because they set up that framing device of like greed got her she got so greedy yes, she got they do so say that they do set it up they, you're right they, yeah they make it try they try to make it that fred but you have to balance that with 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 something the, the where it missteps you said before I'm not sure where the missteps where where the big misstep is for me it's the misstep of not creating relationship among the three yeah, you know, and that's um, rushed. There, there isn't, there isn't, it is just the caper and the caper is great. It is well, it's well put together. And I was in, you know, I was like, oh, that's cool how they're going to do this and yeah. how, uh, how subtly simple it is. It comes down to the use of a master lock, basically. Yeah. And I'm like, that's mm-hmm. a really cool and simple way of doing it. Um, but, you know, the, 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 the thing that you need to develop, which they do develop in a movie that this is a lot like, which we mentioned, I think on last week's podcast is how to beat the the high cost of living. Mm -hmm. It is about the relationship between the three women, Jane Curtin, Susan St. James, Susan St. James, Jessica Lang, Jessica Lang, you know, and if you haven't seen that movie, it's great, but it's their relationship and their other relationships in their lives. This movie doesn't do that. It's just the caper. Then it's the caper going wrong, which they solve in pretty, you know, fun and order, but in short order. And then it's just about we need more money. Yeah. And it's not about their relationship. And you could have mined that for so much great juice and they don't do it. They, it this movie falls short at every turn, even in the relationship with Katie Holmes, where they they think she's a drug addict at the beginning. That plot line gets dropped utterly. Yeah, she's she's wasted in this movie. That whole character is so underwritten. Holmes is using mad money as her comeback vehicle. Before she became Mrs. Tom Cruise and before she became mum to the most photographed baby in the world, Holmes used to be an actress. Her boyfriend just 
shows up. It's the weirdest thing. He's in the beginning. It's her husband, I guess. But you oh, don't know husband? who he's there. I think so. But you don't even know he's uh, who he is. Why he's, he's, he's in the beginning when they're doing the interviews. And you're like, oh, that guy's got something to do with it. And then half the movie goes on. They all get introduced. You're absolutely right. There's no real relationship. She's just, she, I mean, even in that scene, she's like, I'm in. When, when Diane Keaton's going to present the plan, right. she just says, I'm in. That's to to the caper. Yeah, that's just to get them to and the caper. And then he just shows up, so you don't know, and he's just a goofball. You know, the, the, the closest thing to a relationship building, you know, part of the script is is, is Queen Latifah and, and the prison guard. And they have some sort of nice moments. They have lovely stuff. Their stuff is my favorite stuff in the movie. But there was, there was just no stakes to it, you know, and it's set, no. it's set up. It seems like the stakes could be so high and like the urgency to all they this. They must and like, be so high. They need to be so high. And yeah, they're not. It really is just off the cuff like, oh, I think we could do this. Oh, let me get two other people I work with who we know nothing about these women when the caper comes. <laughs> we, know, we know just right. the archetypes. We know single mom. Just trying to keep her head down to her job and kooky girl who, who, who dances. dances at work. That's yeah. all we know. And that and and all who also apparently makes Rube Goldberg designs in on her side job, which <laughs> yeah. never comes up until the end where yeah. she makes like this crazy Rube Goldberg yeah, crazy thing to blow uh, up the trailer. What? Yeah. She's like no, she's I'm, they're supposed to be painting her as like a hidden genius. And it's like, okay, well, you have to who has a sixth sense about things. And it's like, but you it's so thin. It's it felt like so much is left on the cutting room floor in this. Movie. That's exactly what I was going to say. It feels like it was like you know, maybe it was just edited to, to shreds. But I think but so. You, but you kind of have to. I mean, the movie is more than long enough. It's not like, why is this only 45 minutes? No, it's yeah. like, you know, it's a normal movie. It's yeah. funny. You guys said for me. That was the big thing at first was how quickly we jump into the caper and how little we know about the women. And like you said, Dan, the, there are no relationships there. It's just about getting to the mechanism, the, the Rube Goldbergness of yes. like, here's a, putting a plot in motion. It's like Ocean's Eight or something without any kind of context or character or fun or fun. It's Ocean's Three. It's, oh, yeah, right. Ocean's Three. <laughs> um, but you guys said, oh, Diane Keaton, she's so wonderful. She's so wonderful. I, I literally wrote a note saying, is Diane Keaton the worst actress? And I only wrote that because they telegraph everything. The fa- it's so obvious they're committing a crime. I watched Diane Keaton for three seconds pushing the janitor's car. And I'm like, what the fuck you got in your pockets? I'm like, you know, I, I mean, I can't believe that they don't like peg right. them as bank robbers immediately. They're constantly like making faces at each other and, you know, and the eyebrows raised and winking and laughing and do a little kick and like, Hey, I, I just stole some money. And then they go into a bathroom stall and loudly yeah. laugh and stuff money down their pants and talk about their crime on right. company property. Now I've got two reasons to live control top. <laughs> I'm going to get myself some boring underpants. I know. I bet Victoria never had this particular secret. And then they do it at six different scenes in restaurants, in public places. (laughs) They discuss their crime spree in public, loudly, in earshot of everyone. And they make a, there's a a moment very early on when they have their first little round table of just the women without their spouses at that, that restaurant. And, Juniors. And Katie yeah. Holmes, yeah, says something a little too loud about um, about mm-hmm. well, you wouldn't want somebody to 
to know that we were talking about robbing, you know, the Federal Reserve. And then the waiter comes over, the old man who runs the place, Jr. is like, yeah, you wouldn't want that or something. I'm, I'm not, yeah. uh, you know, I'm paraphrasing. That's the obviously. first time they all get together. It's the first That's time the, they get together yeah. and the and the guy who owns the business. And I was like, well, you've already shit the bed. First of all, like your master right. plan is out there in the world. Somebody, done. there's, there's done a witness now. to it. And yeah. of course, that has a payoff in the very, very end. end. Yeah. But in the meantime, that less, well, it does in that he has been aware and then helps, obviously helps them like hide money for them. Um, that's where. How many deus ex machinas is this movie going to have though? Well, yeah. how, about, how about, does anybody have a living room? Does anybody have a living room? Say, come to my house and we'll talk about the plan. <laughs> Everything is, at, it's a tavern on the green. It's at Denny's. It's, a, it's, I mean, they're just in public constantly discussing their crimes. Yeah. And I found it, it just shattered the believability of it. But if you're going to play that up, like you, I, I can't think of what it is. I, I know there have been movies or there haven't, you hear about it all the time, like crimes that happen where like, you can't believe how stupid the people are or how like, just like you said, Dan, like there is something funny and very interesting about the fact that like, you know, how are you going to steal the money from the Federal Reserve? And like, oh my God, it's actually not that it's just getting a master lock from Home Depot. You know, the fact that that could happen, things like that have happened throughout history where it's just like, oh my God, how could we be so stupid to let this happen? And someone has found that little hole and taken advantage of it. I... So you you could play that up more, but I feel like that it's going to be a smarter and a darker and a more satirical script to do that. This doesn't do no. that. It's just like, yeah. Wee, there's this another. Is fun. Let's throw y- money. You're right, Fred, and I thought that too. There's a darker script, a more, a more sort of, um, uh, uh, maybe a more farcical, but certainly a more a more cynical script in this same material. Especially, yeah. what else happens in 2008? What's about to occur? You know, oh, if well, they right, had a crystal ball, so or if they had made this movie a year later, you have the financial collapse, and you yeah. use that as use material, that, yeah. and use that as fodder, and you wish that it's like, oh gosh, you, they almost sort of. Forecast it. It seems prescient in that way yeah. that it's like, you know, it starts with like this, this wealthy upper middle class, you know, couple mm-hmm. being like, where's all our money? Where did it all go? <laughs> like exactly. to see somebody who had gotten taken in by a maid off or something like a, right. a, a, a privileged person driven to an extreme, you know, so it. it you know, or with, it's with funny. Lehman it's, Brothers or, or with, you know, or something like that, you know. How many years after Enron are we at this point? Are, are we, when was that? Like a, I thought that was... Like, oh, that was like in the early aughts, right? Wasn't that like 2003 okay. so or something? They just found to... the Enron variant, I think, in Liberia. <laughs> oh, no. God forbid. You shut the fuck up. <laughs> you son of a bitch. Oh, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. But yeah, so in that sense, it seems like it starts off and it seems like, ooh, this is going to be a little bit of a prescient social commentary. And I had That's to think I for a second. I was like, wait, wait, wait. This is like nine months before the crash, before, you know, yeah. so... Um, I was going to compare it to Breaking it, yeah. Bad, where it's like where you do get addicted to it because that's what, yes. you know, Walter White just gets he he he. Well, I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but there's the final admission like he loves do he likes doing this. But right. even with that, like he, you know, you get swept up in the in, in, in the whirlwind of I'm getting away with this. I'm getting away with this. And that is very real. And that's an interesting conceit that Diane yeah. Keaton has. But you still have to go into it because the stakes Walter White gets into it because the stakes are so high. He has cancer. He has to work at a car wash. He's yeah. you know, his 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 son is special needs like the world is falling falling apart, you know, so he has to do this. You just don't get that 
sense. You know, there's a quick thing of Ted Danson being like, I can't get a job. It's been a year. Yeah. Ted Danson is sad. Therefore, I have to rob the Federal Reserve. <laughs> it's it's a weak conceit. That's what Mary Steenburgen said last night. <laughs> so oh, keep God. an eye out. We are $286,000 in debt. What? I wasn't kidding. It's over. Honey, why didn't you tell me? We could have stopped. What? Eating, driving, living our lives? We should live on less. Lots of people live on less. Absolutely. And soon we'll be living with them, you know, hearing their voices in the hallways, smelling their cooking. Oh, you know, but hey, at least we got our health. Of course, we don't have health insurance, so if you need an x-ray, I sell a kidney. I'm, I'm building up. I didn't, I didn't dislike this movie that much, but as like I'm building up, I keep wanting to end every rant I have with the, with the, with the famous Dan quote, fuck this movie. <laughs> I want to talk, 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 talk. Uh, yeah. Fuck this movie. I mean, a little bit though, because it doesn't. You know what I mean? It's like it, it, yeah. it doesn't do anything masterfully. Even the conceit. And it was directed is by not, the woman yeah. who wrote Film and Louise. Film and Louise. Cooey, and but yeah. she didn't I'm write surprised. this screenplay. And I wonder if that's part of it. I don't know. I don't Maybe. recall had she directed other things, major stuff prior to this. But I wonder if she had had a hand. You know, we know from Jeff Rodke, screenplays go through many, many manifestations, sure. and who, who knows how many iterations away from the screenwriter's original uh, uh, screenplay this was, but I I can't imagine she didn't have a hand in it somehow. But ultimately, I think I I really feel like this fell apart in because you know how a movie tells you it says we're going to. Yeah, in the editing, because we're going to set this thing up and then do nothing with it. Well, I think we should keep going. Oh, no, sweetheart, that'd be. No, that, that's a that's a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, he's right. That wasn't part of the deal. We were supposed to just, you know, get what we needed and get out. I think we need more, oh. right? I could use more. No, see, don't get greedy. See, that's how people get caught. <sighs> exactly. I think we're asking for trouble. If you're going to set a rule, you follow the rule. If you're going to set a logic in motion, you follow that logic to its conclusion. But what you can't do is pull the rug out from under it and then have us going, huh? And that is precisely what the ending does. You have, you know, Christopher, uh, 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 Shooter McGavin, Christopher, he's wonderful. Uh, he's wonderful. Christopher, Christopher um, McDonald, I want to say. Yes, come in. He's great yeah. in everything. As a deus ex machina number one, yeah. the tax attorney who's going to try to save them. And he, and he basically, you know, says, you got no proof. Let my, let, let these three women go. And then the IRS guys are saying, but we're still going to tax them so that they'll end up with nothing. Okay. But he saves them and gets them off. But then you fast forward to another deus ex machina, which is, I guess, Junior has been helping Diane Keaton. Are we to to assume that he's been helping her squirrel this money away the whole time, the over the course of the however many years they've been embezzling? And so they've, I don't they've, know. I feel like this is like a three month story, but it might be three years. Uh, I can't. I have no idea. So they've proceed. learned nothing. There is no upshot. The, the, the whole no. thing of like, no, this is going to clean you out. You're going to have to get jobs again. You're going to have to live smaller. You're going to have to go back to some version of your formal life. That's not true, actually. They've been all of the money is still there and it didn't clean them out. And we're going to throw it up in the air and, and rejoice. It's yeah. awful. The ending I is awful I, I was like how dare they do this ending just to, just to give it give how, a smile on our faces it does the opposite if they can't track how much money was taken and they have no proof that any money was taken <laughs> right. and the federal reserve says 
As far as we know, no money was taken. What money is the IRS taxing and how do they know? Just money that was spent that seems like they shouldn't have had it? Money uh, that so, the, Katie you know Holmes' I mean? husband like, invested, I guess. I guess, is but the that's only, just one, is the only paper trail, but that's, that's only I mean. a part of the money. So it's like even that makes no sense. Uh, Stephen Root is great, by the way. We got to uh, mention Stephen him. Stephen Root is the one great. person he's in it. He's terrific he's because good. he's he's playing it just arch enough. And he has depth to it. He has a I never really thought that stake. I would ever say this in a million years in any conversation. Can we just move on and talk about 27 dresses? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That's that actually translation. Fine. Fred's bored by me. He's no, bored not at all. Analysis. I'm bored by this. Mo- when you said earlier, when you're like, do we need to talk about these movies? <laughs> Watching two of these movies, I actually thought about that. I said, I don't know if we need to talk about these, but you know what? I really want to talk about 27 Dresses now. Okay. I really want to talk about it. I want to watch it. I want to enjoy it again. Mm, I won't go that far. Just, uh, <laughs> no, I said after 20, I don't want to jump the gun, but after 27 Dresses, I'll tell you my thoughts on it, but I thought I never need to see that again. Uh, between the choice of Mad Money and Twenty Seven Dresses, you had to like, watch Mad Money again. Oh, that's interesting. Let, let's do let's do Twenty Seven Dresses. Let's so. Sheila this. Let's Sheila this. Then. Two Sheilas. That's what Ooh. I have too. Ooh. Yeah, exactly. It just dropped in this conversation. It dropped. It, it yeah. might have been higher. It was an empty shell to me, so I couldn't give it more than two. I didn't. I feel I bad. I think you're anyone. right. I think, I think, a lot of things happened on the way to and through the editing room and through the various studios and producers. And and, I, and we'll talk about with 27 Dresses because I read a lot of stuff about that. Uh, exactly what Jeff Rodkey was saying. I think there was, I get the impression that there probably were a lot of hands pulling and prodding and, and who knows. It, 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 I'm sure everyone went in with the best of intentions. It just, yeah. But no. you know what? But the, I mean, editing is one thing, but mm-hmm. to me, it's the content that lets it down even more than the editing because I can't believe, you know, I, I kept thinking of the oceans movies and I kept thinking of yeah. like how a Soderbergh would do this and you watch the thing right. play out and you, yeah. and you see it, you see everything in the eyes of the actors, but nobody's telegraphing anything that would get them in trouble. And to me, it feels like the movie is from stem to stern, like from, from, the, from talking about maybe committing the crime to committing the crime to the aftermath of the crime and the discussion, it's all, I'm like, you'd be caught now. You'd be dead now. You'd be arrested now. It, yeah. it, uh, it, the content of the scenes is yeah, what, right. it, it, what deflates from the whole thing for me because I don't believe that there's any real tension or stakes there or that they could get away with this for three hot seconds so Holmes used to be an actress to me I'd be, I'd be willing to go with the movie as a as a as a silly take on a caper movie if the relationships worked and there are no real relationships to speak of in this movie that have any depth and I will give it one Sheila for <gasps> Queen Latifah who I think is very good uh-huh. I will I will give it one Sheila for uh, Roger Cross, who plays her love interest, Barry. I thought he was excellent, actually. Yeah, I yeah, love him. Another one and a half for Stephen Root, who elevates anything he's in. So I am at 3.5, gentlemen. Okay, very good. And that is where I stand on it. Very good. And Fred already, Fred's aching to talk about all these dresses. So we don't even <laughs> know. There is no. There is Betty! no. Betty! <laughs> oh, God help fuck us. Off. Betty! Betty and the Jets! I thought you were going to say Benny 27 times <laughs> just now. Benny, 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 oh, Benny, 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 Benny,
Jason found a sound clip of some fucking creature from hell. <laughs> it's funny because it winds up sounding like Gollum, but that's not what I was looking for. I was just looking for. I thought it was Danny Torrance or something. <laughs> right. I thought it was Danny Terrio. <laughs> With an outtake from Dance Fever. <laughs> Twenty-seven dresses, or romantic comedy for dummies. Catherine Heigl is perennial bridesmaid Jane, who always puts the needs of others before her own, making her the go-to gal whenever someone needs help with their wedding plans. So when Jane's younger sister, Tess, played by evil sentient mannequin Malin Ackerman, snags the man Jane secretly loves, played by the man Dan outwardly hates, Ed Burns, Jane finds herself questioning her role as a wedding junkie for the first time in her life. Meanwhile, a handsome reporter, played by James Marston, sees Jane unusual story is his ticket off the bridal announcement beat. 27 Dresses was a considerable hit, earning $23 million over its opening weekend on its way to a domestic box office of $76.8 million and a worldwide haul of $162.7 million. Fred and Dan, I think we know how I feel. How do you guys feel about 27 Dresses? It's funny, you know, uh, Taylor and I watched this together and she was kind of in and out, but she watched most of it with me. And uh, one of the things that we noticed right off the bat, a lot of crew neck T-shirts, a lot of crew neck T-shirts underneath button downs. Yeah, it's a hot take. And she was like, what's with all the crew necks? What year did this come out? Oh, wait. And the only one not wearing a crew neck and just wearing the button down in and of itself, by itself, naked underneath is... The horrific Ed Burns. And that takes me to negative 12 Sheilas. I was immediately triggered when he walked out. When he walked out and I heard that, Hey, hey Catherine Harvey, can you come in here and get me a, can you help me with something? I'm Ed Burns. I made a movie that, I made a couple of movies. Can you help me? I wanted to scream. But the, the, um, <laughs> Movie itself. So Taylor and I were talking about, okay, well, what makes a good rom-com? Well, what are the great rom-coms? When Harry Met Sally, Pretty Woman, you know, Sleeps in Seattle, a couple of, you need, you need the calm part, gang. (laughs) It can't just be the rom. And I mean, we said this about that other Katie Holmes movie, First Daughter. You can't just have the rom. You have, it has to be funny. And I think that rests in, you have to have a really, really likable uh, female lead, Meg Ryan, Julia Roberts, like they have, we have to love them so much and love their struggle. And the struggle has to be real, right? Yeah. I'm jumping way ahead here, but you have a moment in here where you go, okay, this is what the movie's really about. It's about the the resentment between the two sisters. And here we go. We're going to get a big scene now. It's in the hardware store. It's mm-hmm. three quarters of the way through the movie and it is played for light comedy and it is so unfortunate because there's your scene there's your stakes there's your relationship there's your meg ryan crying on the bed moment i've always wanted to be you and i've always wanted to be you this is the movie in a nutshell and it it, they play it light and they play it silly and it is so 
such a massive missed opportunity there. So you have to have the ROM and and that has to have have a, a lead character we really love and care about. And then you have to have the calm in a Billy Crystal or a Tom Hanks or a Hugh Grant or a whoever it is. And you don't get that in this. That's not James Morrison's fault. He's not a funny guy. That's not Ed Burns' fault, who, truth be told, I didn't hate him in this. I was triggered by thoughts of She's the One, which is the worst <laughs> film in the in the history of, of movies. But you got to have funny people in it and you got to have a lead a lead love interest that brings the funny and uh, you don't I get like any them of that together. Here. I thought Catherine Heigl. You know, I think like I don't know much about her. I didn't see this movie when it came out. It held no interest for me. And this, they sort of, from what I was reading, this this was sort of like the death knell for that genre of rom-com at the time like this was like the tail end and sort of ended everything then suddenly things took a shift and they got you know then when did bridesmaids come out that was 2011 that's 2011 so it was between i think we're like the paradigm oh. shifted a little bit but what's yeah. what's interesting and you guys actually helped me with this my friend billy warlock and i co-wrote a screenplay oh, that you were um, called like yes. in a Hollywood minute, I think. And and the whole thing was, I, I won't go too into it, but Billy had an idea for something. And I remember he's like, I'm working on a screenplay. And I said, Oh, what's it about? And he told me, and I said, I would never in a million years go see that. I, that movie, I have no interest in that. He's like, I can see it making billions of dollars, though. Mm. Because at that time, and it was around this time, it was 2008 when that happened. Because yeah. that was the thing. There were all those movies. Every poster in the subway looked the same. It was all the same style with the bright white background and, like, yep. the two, you know, the the, the love interests in the front. Yeah. And so we worked on it with that, with this formula in mind. Oh, at least formula. that's how I no went into it being like how can we do this formula make because that seems to be the thing that's happening and i and i always think like by that point those movies were going out of style i was like maybe if we started a little earlier maybe we could have gotten it in and actually sold it you know because that's what's selling but anyway <laughs> i know katherine heigl gets a lot of she got a lot of uh, flack at the time um, mm-hmm. or, or shortly after because she was very vocal about, you know, how she felt about working on Knocked Up. And I think there was like this there – was, there was a lot of ill will towards her. And I think now the tables are turning and you're realizing, well, no, she was just a woman speaking up in Hollywood and mm-hmm. – People were like, sit down, sit down, and, and now saying, oh, no, actually, she she made, you know, valid points and whatnot. Going back and watching it, I'm thinking, not not knowing anything about her other than the negative stuff I read, thinking, oh, she's, I, I thought she was, she was good in this. She was, you know. She's, she's I, brilliant and knocked up. She's great. Yeah. She's a good actress. I, I liked her in this. I liked the. Because the, the, there are stakes in knocked up. There's no stakes That's what I mean. I, I, I mean, she's talented, but all these people are talented. It's like you said, Jason. It's all, it's all telegraphed. It's, it's exactly. All by numbers. You know, from the, from the moment the movie starts, you know exactly where it's going to end. And. That's, That's fine, true. I'm sure, to, because, again, it's a rom-com, so you know they're going to end up yeah. together. You know where it's yeah, going to go. that was something go. Taylor said. She's like, yeah, I know where this is headed. I yeah, can be in right it. from I can the start. second it starts, James Marsden's like, I don't like, I don't believe in weddings. I don't yeah. like marriage. Kate and Patricia's like, yeah. I'm, I'm obsessed with marriage. Guess who's going to get married at the end of the fucking thing? Yeah. It's now going back to something I said earlier, because I was reading about this. And it's written by, and I'm blanking on her name, the woman who wrote oh, it. I, uh, I think I wrote but it. But she, yeah. she wrote, she's a great writer. She, she wrote My Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, 
which is mm-hmm. fucking brilliant. Uh-huh. And oh god, what is it? What else is it? Um, uh, uh, oh, Devil Wears Prada. Aileen Brosh McKenna is That's the screenwriter. And Anne Fletcher directed it, but I didn't know either of them. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's she's she wrote uh, Devil Wears Prada, which I mm-hmm. love. That's one of like my favorite. Oh, this movie's on. I'm going to sit down and watch mm-hmm. it. Like, I cool. love that movie. I can't speak. Um, and so she and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is brilliant. And apparently going back to what Jeff Rodkey, uh, mm-hmm. our discussion with him and what I was just saying, she wrote a very different script. Well, there you go. And it ended up being not it was still a rom-com. But in the end, she ends up alone. And it was just, it was more, I think it was more grounded. And she was very vocal in the interview that I was reading that it was taken by other screenwriters, picked apart, and they moved stuff. And they said, no, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. And then they brought her back on. Exactly what Jeff was saying. Yep. You know, they said, we got to do this. We got to make this. We got to add that. And she was like, well... Okay, you know, it's not not exactly the movie I wrote, but and you see that. You they're just like exactly paint by numbers. Got to put this color here. Kate and I kept saying it's written by ScriptBot 3000. It is <laughs> definitely it's like a computer program that says now this goes here. Now, I mean, it's yeah, no no fault because this is how screenplays get put through the grinder when a, a yeah. studio is looking for a product, you know. So it really the the reason it's so bad is because it tries to it goes out of its way to hit to tick every box, however inorganically that you find in these movies, right down to the, oh, I love this song. Benny, Benny. Every one of these fucking movies has that. And sometimes they come from a very genuine place, like a movie we're going to talk about later in the year, My Best Friend's Wedding, where there's something about when they say, say say a little prayer for me. Yeah. That's, I mean, that, also, I think from my recollection, we'll watch it in a few months, but my re- recollection of that was like, oh, here comes the moment where they sing a song. But it was still early enough in that. That was 97. It's still early enough in this phase of rom comery that that was a relatively new thing that was happening where it's like, oh, we find the the old song that we can you know, put on the soundtrack that everybody already knows. And then we can have a little sing along and that's a fun scene. But it, there's something that felt very, very organic and uh, uh, useful in the storytelling. From what I recall, we may watch it and be like, no, it doesn't hold up. But this really felt like it was like, oh, now it's time, time to sing a song that that will be on the soundtrack later that we will sell and use in the commercials and whatever. And it was kind of soul crushing. There were many soul crushing choices. My kids would say it was cringy. Very, very, very cringy. cringy. Yeah. I mean, I, this is literally, I would say this is, it, 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 it's like the romantic, if you don't like romantic comedies and your thesis is that romantic comedies are dog shit, this is exhibit A. This is the one you show where you're like, see, did you like that? Could you stand that? And when people say, oh, no, that was nothing, you'd be like, that's romantic comedies. It's an unfair (laughs) assessment, but it's what you use to support. If you're in the romantic comedies camp, this is the movie you use to support that. Because I've seen a lot of them, and I've seen all the J-Lo ones where she's a maid with Ray Fine and where she plans weddings with Matthew McConaughey. And I I enjoy even those. And when Jane Fonda's her monster-in-law or whatever, I like even those things. Maybe because I just like J Lo, but I mean, this was I, just vanilla. It was just it was so 
Vanilla. Yeah, just blah, very whitey white She's vanilla. A, what does that got to do with anything? I think Kate said this. It's a, if this is the story of two sisters, the title should be The, the Doormat and the Sociopath, because that's it. It's like Catherine Heigl is an unbelievable doormat through the whole thing. Here's a person for whom this movie could have been written and could have worked and could have elevated it. And it's Jane Greer. Judy Greer. Judy, Judy Greer. She's who, fantastic. Who, who, every, she's every time she's on screen, she, when she's, yeah. the, my favorite moment, my favorite, my two favorite moments are the smacks in the movie. When she smacks yes. Catherine Hyde, goes, Blavin, Blavin. In the beginning, I openly guffawed. Yeah. And then she's when, the only person with a brain. She's the only performance that works. She's the only yep. b- breath of fresh air. In it. She's dynamite. Make a romantic comedy about her where she's the funny one. And you have my money, my mad money, which takes us to our next movie. Mad money. <laughs> Everyone in this movie is so goddamn beautiful looking. And Judy Greer is a beautiful woman. She's but I beautiful. love how disheveled she lets herself All get in time. this movie. But that's yeah, the problem. You talk about like talk about uh, always a bridesmaid, never a bride. That is the, the story of Judy Greer, who's right? a genius and who is Terrific. beautiful. But is like they say in, in Hollywood, you could be uh, basically a supermodel. And you're the best friend because you're you're pretty, but you're not as pretty as Angelina Jolie's carved, you know, porcelain head. (laughs) But that's the thing, right? That's what they that's what they say. And Judy Greer is always the the secondary or tertiary character. And she is in everything she even when she's She's like a mom in Jurassic World or like, you know, the the ex-wife in Ant-Man or any of these movies. I mean, she's got a, a deep filmography and I'm sure she's, she's a very wealthy woman. Development. Yeah, she's, she's so good in Arrested that. Development. That's a yeah. great character. And yes, she's a character actress, but she's also, yeah. she could be a, a romantic comedy lead in a heartbeat. Easily. And maybe she has somewhere. Maybe she's done an, an indie Listen. that we're not aware of where she kind of holds front and center. But I, kept, put, I watched this movie and I thought at some point she's going to get this. It's not even a reappraisal because everybody thinks she's brilliant. But at some point as she ages... You know what I mean? And she's like in her fifties or yeah. maybe sixty-ish. She'll start. She'll come into her own, and she'll get some like killer movie, indie film, oh, one TV hopes. project, yeah, like yeah. a series where she's anchoring it because she'll have passed that point where it's like, oh well, she needs to be the most exotically beautiful human right. in the world to hold yeah. the center. And that's the day I'm waiting for because she is a super genius. She's <laughs> great. great. You put Judy Greer and Stephen Root in a rom com together. You've got my money. Seriously. That would be pretty fantastic, you know? actually. That would, would be, be amazing. Good. Oh, that'd be so uh, great. 27 Sheilas? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a lot. Negative 27 Sheilas? Can I just mention like the, the, the worst the worst car in the rain scene I've ever seen? Did, did you, uh, the buckets of water being thrown at that oh car. It was, like, it was like an Ed Wood movie. They're in that car. <laughs> yeah. It's completely pitch black around it. And just like, it was like they were in a car you wash. You expected to see Tor walk behind them. Oh, <laughs> the big bald guy, Tor. Yeah. Gunderson or whatever. <laughs> I don't know his last name is. I think it's Tor Johnson, but Tor Gunderson. Tor Johnson, that's it, yeah. Tor Gunderson. I was like, like, wow, now it's even jumping the shark in terms of like the driving in the rain scene. It's like so unbelievable that they didn't crash the car 12 times while they're arguing in the most torrential downpour you've ever seen. Anyway, And then it gets stupider. They hold their cell phones outside in that torrential downpour, which would would destroy destroy those phones. To try to get signal. Oh, so stripped dumb. bot 3000. You've done You've it done again. You've done it again. <laughs> but the, but the, it, it, and it's, it, that um, is interesting because it's something else that, that Taylor and I said. It's like all three of these movies feature 
cell phones prior to or and or blackberries which features prominently in yeah. this movie i used to have one of those filofax things and i freaking loved it so yeah, i was too. like yes filofax yeah. those are great the little with all the paper and you'd get the new paper every year and your filofax mm-hmm. would smell new and everything it was cool but he gives her a blackberry do you know that this week blackberry finally shut down really <laughs> if you have really? a blackberry this week like this past sunday wow. it no longer works it's no longer on the system what the fuck are you talking about? What does that about? got to do with anything? How many shields? I'm going to go, what I give Mad Money? 3.5. I'll give this the same. 3.5. Uh, I'll give this a, a three. I, I, because I, I thought everyone was good in it. I, I really did. I just don't want to watch it again. But I, I did think everyone did a good job, you know. Even and me? You thought I was okay, Fred? He was... I actually normally like Ed Burns. I wasn't crazy about him in this, but I don't think it was his fault. I don't know nothing about no Godfather. That, I wasn't doing that impression. I was doing the other guy. <laughs> I think, you know, yes, everybody in it's talented. I, uh, you know, as you said, it sounds like the, the screenwriter is a very talented person and whatever. <laughs> it is. No, it's so unpleasant. It's so paint by numbers and insulting. So I mean, it's just this, it's the studio to blame. It's the executives to blame. Whatever. This is half a Sheila. This is like insulting. Ooh, I think you liked an, it less than Mad Money. Yeah. I'm talking about Mrs. Reagan. Yeah. I I think Mad Money is terrible, but Mad Money is Mad Money is terrible. And Mad Money on some ways maybe even less in in I don't know about less and say less enjoyable to watch, but it's at least it comes from however that fell apart, the idea was a good idea. And I guess you could say the same, that this this was a screenplay at some point that was maybe an interesting take on this type of thing. Right. But, but there is no moment in the finished product that looks like it comes from anything other than uh, cynicism. So what makes you more I'm nauseous? Thinking. James Marsden and Catherine Hagel Flagan. Blavin, Blavin. Flagan. Blavin, way. Singing Benny and the Jets or all the camera work in Cloverfield. <laughs> <gasps> I say Benny and the Jets. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I thought that's so interesting. Well, we're about to get into it, but uh, yeah, well, so that's it. You segued. We'll talk about the camera work in Cloverfield. Why did I say it like that? Like it's a romantic comedy. Cloverfield in a field of clovers. Because it's funnier than the actual romantic comedy oh we reviewed. It's so much better than everything. Uh, Cloverfield. No, that doesn't work for it. It's just. It's, it's, that's what's so great, right? Such a great title. So, yeah, so innocuous sounding. There's nothing that sounds threatening about Cloverfield. It's like, oh, that's a nice, you know, like a park, a public park. Sweet little park. Uh, Cloverfield. It's a whole lot of ritual for something that's got about a 50 50 shot of making it out of the gate. Oh, how about that? A man who doesn't believe in marriage. Jane was really taking care of everyone. You've been a bridesmaid 27 times. You do besides work and help people get married. But she never took care of herself. Did you put that breakfast burrito on my desk? I just thought you might be hungry. I love you. From the of The Devil Wears Blood. The Go 
As a group of New Yorkers you've never heard of, including Michael Stahl David, Mike Vogel, and Odette Eustman, and a handful of New Yorkers you may have heard of, including Lizzie Kaplan and the recently canceled Deadpool sidekick T.J. Miller, enjoy a going-away party. Little do they know that they will soon face the most terrifying night of their lives when a creature the size of a skyscraper descends upon or erupts out of the city, leaving death and destruction in its wake. Cloverfield creatively employed a unique and ultimately controversial visual style, courtesy of the handheld video camera the friends used to record their struggle to survive. An allegory for all sorts of horrible things that have befallen New York City both before and since this film's release, Covidfield, I'm sorry, Cloverfield was a <laughs> smash hit earning $40 million over its opening weekend, eclipsing the film's modest $25 million budget, and going on to make $80 million domestically and $172.3 million at the worldwide box office. Fred and Dan, what do you guys think of Cloverfield? I really enjoyed this rewatch. I had seen it when it first came out, and I remember... And I did get nauseous when I saw it in the movie theaters. I was like, oh, I, I totally got a little <laughs> nauseous from it. But what I remember most about when this movie came out, and I sort of forgot, and I had to go back in my memory, and I was doing, you know, a little reading up on it as I do. This was like a huge internet marketing sensation. It's still in the earlier mm-hmm. days of, like, social media wasn't huge, but I do remember, mm-hmm. I, re- I forgot about this, and I read it, and I go, oh, my God, I remember. There, this was when MySpace was, was <laughs> right. big. And they had created MySpace pages for the characters in this movie. (laughs) And this was, it was a very Blair Witch style marketing Mm -hmm. campaign. Whereas, yeah, you didn't know. I I remember the trailer. There was no title of the movie when the trailer came out. It just started and it was the footage and then the party. And then you're like, oh, holy shit, holy shit. And it's just that shot of the head of the Statue of Liberty. And then it just ended. And you're like, what the fuck did I just watch? There was no movie. It wasn't like coming soon. There wasn't directed by. It was just that. And it was, what is this? And it was one of those first viral trailers, I guess. And no one knew what it was. And then like things would slightly leak out. Oh, I think this is JJ Abrams has something to do with this. So you're like, Oh, okay. This, you know, lost. So there's going to be some big mystery. And then the MySpace pages and, but you're like, what the fuck is Cloverfield? What does that mean? And they never really explain it. And you sort of assume that it's just sort of like, you know, project Cloverfield. That's what the government does. You know, they'll choose, some random name. And I think it might be the name of a street or, or something, but it's very random. Mm. But that's what I remember going into it. Just like really having no idea mm-hmm. what this was going to be about. And I, I, probably as I saw it in the theaters, cause I think I did see it opening weekend. I went by myself. I think at that point, maybe I knew a little bit more similar to Blair, Witch. by that point, you know, they were leaking out more information. That being said, when I saw it in the theaters, I remember, I remember liking it, but I remember, I remember getting very excited, but I wasn't blown away. And I don't remember why it might've had to do with some of the, you know, there's some things have to be slightly expositiony just by the nature of, you know, there's gotta be a lot of talking because, you know, like, oh my God, why are you doing this? And you're doing, and you're, you know, rather than, yeah, there's a lot of right. telling rather than showing. And maybe because they're figuring out the, um, you know, the device of it, uh, of, of that handheld the, the, mm-hmm. the footage thing. But, um, and I think at the time I thought maybe everyone looked 
I was like, wow, everyone's really pretty, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and mm-hmm. I didn't really buy why he was going across town to rescue this girl. So there was a few, there were a few things that sort of stuck in my craw. I found who, who I didn't realize obviously at the time who knew who TJ Miller was at the time, you know, yeah, but I, I remember know. liking I HUD. He was in it. Yeah. I had no clue. <laughs> I was like, holy shit, that's TJ Miller. Uh, I remember like, well, okay, maybe he's being a little too jokey jokey here at times. Anyway, all that being said, that really didn't bother me this time. I really, really enjoyed it. And, and looking back and I'm thinking, this is, this is a great monster movie. Is it perfect? No, there's something, you know, like I question some of this stuff by the end. I didn't, I, I actually didn't question his reasoning for going to get the girl. I bought it this time. You know, it's very interesting that the, the moment that the lights go out and the earthquake comes, that second is right after, um, I think his brother says for you, you know, forget the world, forget the rest of the world, hang on to the people you care most about. Uh, something, something like oh, that. Yeah. When, when all the chips are down, it's like the last thing that is said before the world changes. It's the like before the planes hit the towers moment, yeah. right? It's like the, it's the last thing. And, and he clearly, he loves this woman and he is like, and, and what is the end game? Are they going to be able to get out? Is this the last day of their lives? So I can, I could understand it. I, I don't know that I had a hard time understanding it when I first or a- empathizing when I first watched it, but watching it this time, I was like, yeah, it seems crazy. But when you, you love someone and you just want to get, you just want to get to them because maybe this is your last, maybe this is your last chance. Nothing else matters. Literally nothing else matters in that moment. And so I, I bought it. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was a really cool way to tell a story. It was, you know, like a modern version of like, you know, it was like our Godzilla, which is also great, too, that he's going to Japan, going to which Japan. is like, the, it's so yeah, funny, yeah, which yeah. is great, you know, uh, and I just, I, yeah, I just love the whole conceit. And I love how, you know, the I was telling I was telling Ben about it, you know, and I'm like the first 15 minutes, you have no idea what this movie's about. You don't know what's going on. You're like, this is boring. There's some cool Kings of Leon and Spoon music in the background of this party. Uh, mm-hmm. But like, what's going on? Everyone's very good looking. What's happening? And then, yeah, I mean, obviously it's, you know, it's a post 9-11 movie, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and there's some shots that are very on the money with that. Yeah. But I didn't, I didn't find them over the, t- you know, it, it, it um, oh, it's great. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really liked it. I thought and, and I bought it all, you know, the, the, the real fear of just like, holy shit, like, what is that? What is going on? My name is Robert Hawkins. Approximately seven hours ago, uh, something attacked the city. Um, you found this. If you're watching this, then you know more about it than I do. Lizzie Kaplan is the best part of the movie. I think she's yeah. great. She's the girl. And she's I good. remember mm-hmm. that scene in the theaters where she gets like, you know, attacked by the parasite thing, whatever. And then she fucking explodes. She explodes. Yeah. That scene is horrifying. That scene is up there with, you know, the, the alien shooting out of John Hurt's chest. That is a horrifying (laughs) scene. Yeah. That's as good as anything in the thing or any crazy, like fucking weird monster horror movie I've seen. It's Um, as off putting as the end of mad money. It's as off putting (laughs) as the Benny and the Jets sequence. It makes me as ill. As those sequences. Glavin, glavin. Uh, I'm not big on this movie, you guys. I'm sorry. Wow. That's I okay. I apologize. I'm sorry. To me, it's it's no nothing but trouble. No, I'm kidding. It's <laughs> far better than any of the movies we truly loathe. But um, this shaky cam conceit 
I, this is my second time seeing it. And I think I liked it better the first time, but this time, I don't know what it was. Did you see it in I the theater I, first time? No, or? I didn't no. see it in the theater. And I didn't, you know, this was one of those movies that a Jeremy or a, a, a you know, a Bob or somebody <laughs> would say, you got to see, you haven't seen Cloverfield. Come on. You got to see you know, it, it. It missed me. It went past me. It went by me. And I kind of was like, what is the, oh, it's another, oh, it's going to be like a day after tomorrow. Yeah. I don't need to see that. You know, uh, I just kind of, it just went by me. Then I saw it years later and I was, I remember going, oh, okay, cool idea. You know, well executed on this rewatch. I was like, I can't, I think it's because I'm elderly now. I think it's because I'm age, I'm among the aged and I can't follow what's happening. I literally am looking at the thing and going, I don't know where we are in time and space. I don't know where, where, I don't know. It's, it's just a frustrating movie to, to, to watch for an elderly person. You know, I can't, I I, I am, I'm waiting when my, when will my soup be ready? When, when can I do my next crossword puzzle? And when can I watch the next episode of All Creatures Great and Small? I like things that are slow moving. I like a pace that I can follow and I don't need a shaky shaky. Today I don't feel like being elderly. I think the monster is is cool. The 1.6 seconds when we actually see it. When but I like T- that. I like that you don't see him all the time. No, I like that Phil as Tippett, an idea. by the way. Phil Tippett designed the monster. Designer of the Rancor and many other creatures from Star Wars. It looks a lot like the Rancor. Tip it yeah. over into a steady camera shot and then I would be... <laughs> oh, no. I'm sorry. Oh, no. I'll show myself. A, the, 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 um, f- the, the fun... One of the fun shots, it's a very sort of aliens James Cameron shot, is when they shine the light on the creatures coming through the subway tunnel and oh, i was yeah. like oh that's neat because i can see something clearly yeah and you know it's coming as soon as they're like oh let's, course, let's get the, sure. uh, the you know the nightlight you're like oh what the fuck no 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 you know yeah i mean the biggest thing for me and that's a fun sequence the biggest thing for me with this with blair witch with um i don't know diary of the dead any of the sh- any of the found footage movies is why keep filming why well, but he says it. I, I see. What, I understand that he says it. I understand that they try to justify. But why do it at we every keep turn. filming now? And everyone every, keeps this it like podcast? this movie is very yeah. prescient. No, no, no. But like, like constantly videoing everything yeah. that happens everywhere. Watching, at all times. watching this movie now, it seems so prescient no, because I it's like it. you're filming everything. And he does throw enough lines in there. I, I know what you're saying, Dan, because that was that's you have to come up with a good conceit of why. To your point, it, about probably 85 percent of the time. I know why he's still filming, you know, and they do justify it in a way, but it doesn't hit a home run with that for me. And I think you kind of have to with this. Hey, do you guys remember a couple of years ago when that guy was lighting homeless people on fire in the subway? Jesus, I'd... What? Maybe not the best topic for conversation down here. Right. I just can't stop thinking how scary it would be if a flaming homeless guy came oh, out of the dark right now. Seriously. I'm just saying. Sorry. But I, I like the conceit of I got to get to my loved one. I got to get to the one yeah. who is. And I actually think that the weird thing of the the Coney Island video continuing to come back in, I think that actually kind of works. I, I like it's that. Brilliant. I think it's a brilliant storytelling device to yeah. cut back and forth to that. Exactly. You're exactly right. It's a lovely yeah. storytelling device and, and it, and it actually works for the movie. But the, did you notice the last shot at Coney Island? Something's 
Is it the uh, is it the Nathan's hot dog uh, contest? Yes, <laughs> exactly. Because that would be scarier than anything. No. Ah! If you look on the in corner the of the screen, yeah. that the last shot is them in the Ferris wheel, and you Same, see something yeah. crash out. It's like yeah. right in the corner of the screen, something flies out of the sky and crashes yep. in the ocean. An alien? Well, that I think it's sort of. The idea is like, is that what this thing is? Is that where we're landed? Is it something falling from the sky? Oh, I or- didn't catch Kate, that. Kate did I a didn't deep catch dive that. online after we were watching it. And we both loved it. And she, there's something called, I don't know if it's called Clovapedia or something. I mean, like you say, yeah. all the conspiracy theories and yeah. all the stuff, the stuff building up to the film. But then there's a whole deep well of mythology surrounding it and surrounding the sequels. And I, I mean, she, I Are didn't go down the rabbit hole. There's yeah. de facto Cloverfield sequels. Lane. Cloverfield, like 10 Cloverfield Lane with John Goodman is like, it has so oh, little to do in some wow. ways with this movie, but and the yeah, Cloverfield it's completely Paradox. Connected. Yeah. There's which a couple I don't know things. anything about. I have not seen those. Oh I don't God. know anything about it. But there's a whole deep well of mythology surrounding this thing. And I think what she read oh. is that that's supposedly the. They think it's a satellite that crashed. That that's what the yeah. the, the 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 ship that gets capsized uh, at the beginning was like. Uh-huh. It was like a mission to unearth the the satellite, like to dredge up the satellite that was uh, that that they say fell like a month earlier had gone into the water oh, or whatever. Yeah, I, I read that know. too. I didn't know it, what that meant though. Okay, I think that's what the I think that's what goes into the water, and then when they go rooting around for it, that's when. It's, it's oh, the things awakened. I don't know. God knows. Oh, yeah. Well, but, that would, that would be like you know. the Godzilla huh. thing there. Right, yeah. But, right. um, I just kept thinking, wait a minute, how are they filming this? How, like, these must be the most complicated shots. Is TJ Miller actually filming it? And then I read he filmed like a good third of the movie. That's yeah. actually oh, wow. him filming yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. Which makes sense. I mean, how else could you do it? But, and sometimes he falls down with the camera, drops the camera, and that's all real. Like a lot, yeah. not all of it, but I mean, I'm sure some are like, it's and now you're going to drop the camera here for good purpose. And I think mm. they do that. I think they do that pretty beautifully. Some of the moments where the camera goes, kind of goes to an odd angle. It doesn't happen a lot, but like, you know, like, no, this is a private conversation and you can tell the camera's just like kind of filming part of the floor or part of the cabinet and you're hearing something that, you know, like that Mm -hmm. in the first scene, like, I don't, I don't want to talk about this on camera, but we're still getting it recorded. And then of course that moment, the really horrific moment of finding that the, the girl and she's got that kind of spike through her shoulder and okay, they have to yeah. lift her off it. And it's like, well, we need help. So he puts the camera down for yeah. a second and, you and just there's concrete, it. there's a concrete yeah. block just in front of the lens. So you don't actually see that would yeah, be a rated good. R movie if they had done that. You know, I mean, I think it was very, very clever, lots of very, very clever um, touches. I think it's a very, I think it's very, uh, efficient the film i think it's uh, i i think it, it is it, yeah i, I right. think it's really well done the camera work did not i don't think it bothered me when i saw it in the theater too i think this is only the second time i've seen it maybe mm-hmm. it's the third i'm, I'm sure I, i'm sure I, I know i saw it in the theater i know i own the dvd so i must have gotten it and watched it at least mm-hmm. once then and then you know i think this is probably the third time i've ever seen it but i remember always liking it and this time i think i liked it maybe more than Ever. And I thought I wouldn't. I thought either the special effects would feel too dated or that the conceit would feel too dated or something. But it just 
didn't for me. I was really really get a a palpable sense of panic going through. You really, you really buy it. You know, you feel like it traffics in the nine 11 panic. Like it, like it, like it, it, it explore it's exploitative. But that was the word I was, I couldn't think of. I didn't find it. I wanted to say that before I didn't find it exploitative. Okay. I think it's a meditation on it the same way we say things like, you know, I know I've said the, the dark night is, I always say is like one of the, the first true, a lot of people say, oh, this is the first true post 9-11, you know, war on terror kind of, you know, uh, allegory movie. That's not true. There are others. And this is the same year as the dark night, right? Cloverfield, and the, but it takes a few years yeah. to really synthesize the experience and have it show up in your films. But there are films before this, like I think Spielberg's War of the Worlds, which maybe we'll talk about at some point next week with right, the yeah. Close Encounters episode. I think that's a great great movie most of it i think it's like maybe yeah. two-thirds of a really great movie and yeah. i think the most incredible stuff Robbins is, uh, that's where it falls apart for me too but well, i'm sure it may come up at some point but uh i i agree with you wholeheartedly there but the 9 11 the the anxiety of, yeah. of that day obviously is shot through this entire thing but is also shot through war of the worlds and uh uh, and, and the absurdity and, of it, right? The the what's yeah. happening, we don't understand what's we happening, and, and, and having the, yes. and the naivete that surrounding that, uh-huh. like, oh, what what could this be? Although in this movie, you're like, what the hell is that? And then two seconds later, the head of the Statue of Liberty comes <laughs> crashing through a skyscraper. So I mean, the stakes jump through the roof immediately with this. You're that not you're not is, sitting there wondering what's going on for very long. I mean, right. you don't know. But it's a that monster, is actually maybe, but. that Statue of Liberty crashing downtown. Yeah, and 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 the head of it crashing into the whatever street they're on downtown and you they do linger on that shot and that i think is the strongest shot in the movie because the statue of liberty's eyes look sad yeah right it's mm. awesome Which they always look sad right but you yeah, know when I mean, you see a decapitated statue of liberty i think jj <laughs> yeah, right. saddened them up for this i think he's like you got to make her look sadder there was one tear that they carved into yeah i was gonna say the other post 9-11 movie this kind of reminds me of in some ways and it seems so odd is love actually what the fuck are you talking about what does that got to do with anything (laughs) no because the opening of that same movie the opening of that film is about is heathrow airport and talking about 9-11 and what happened on 9-11 and how None of the calls from the planes were about hate. They were all about love and how in that moment that like, oh, oh my God, this might be the end moment. What we really think about as human beings is love. And I think that it comes to me because I buy that that character is will cross a war zone to get to this woman because for for love. And in that moment, it doesn't really all that matters is getting to her. All that matters is telling her. And that's why it's so beautiful. The very last words of the movie are, I love you, I love you. And then everything goes dead, goes goes black. They Ugh. finally say it in that final second. Spoiler alert. Look at me, guys, look at me, look at me. I love you. I love you. I think that's <sighs> great that, it, that ultimately, I think like all the best movies, and you're going to call me crazy. I think this is a movie about love. And it about is. The, no, you're, you it's know, not crazy. It is about that. It's kind yeah. of the, the, the visceral. Well, because that's how it, it starts and ends. And it's just sort of, it's like the journey of these two people, you know, which I didn't get in the first watching. For some reason, when I first saw it, I didn't understand how 
long and deep their relationship was. It was like, well, you just met this girl tonight, or it seemed, it seemed like something very quick. But no, watching it this time, you're absolutely right. I mean, the movie starts, it's, it's about their relationship. Yeah. And normally this would be a rom-com. This would be, you know, or, <laughs> or, or, or like yeah. a, a lost in translation, like a, a deep, you know, dark meditation about like this relation or, or like a, um, a um, what was the Joseph Gordon-Levitt movie with- um, 500 uh, Days of Summer. Yeah, something like that where like, you know, this guy and he's going and he's moving to Japan, but, mm. you know, is he going to be leaving his best friend who's really the love of his life? That's how the movie is starting and yeah, setting yeah. it up. And then it's just interrupted by this fucking insane event. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. It does. It, it for, the, for me, the first time, that didn't track. This time it made complete sense. And I don't know why it didn't track at the time. Maybe because, I don't know, maybe, maybe because I was just feeling so nauseous from the camera work. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess so. I, I, I do think that landed a lot more for me this time than in the past and that maybe that you know sometimes sometimes that like must get to the girl thing is a, a convenient it's a trope. device yeah. it's a trope that doesn't really hold a lot of weight but there, something about that i mean the two of us were sitting on the couch watching it and we're like having an active conversation through tears of like you 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 don't come back for me. If you can get away and get to safety, I'll I'll get to you. And I'm like, no, I'm to coming each back other? for That's you. Hilarious. That's what I'm saying. She's like, don't come back for me. I'll I'll find you. I don't want you to get hurt. I'm like, no, no. I'd have to come to you. I would be. It's, it's because that's all that matters in the end is get to that person, form yeah. that connection, you know, reestablish that bond, be there with, even if it's just to hold the person's hand, uh, you know, in their final moment. I mean, it's hard. I think it's heartbreaking. I think the direction is, re- you know, Matt Reeves. Now this movie makes me excited for the Batman. For the Batman I keep yeah. saying, I feel like I watch oh, these trailers the director for the Batman. Of the new Batman? Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. But and I watch the them. new Batman. Robert Pattinson. And, and uh, how do we know? What do we, how would Twilight. I know? You know him from Twilight. He's I don't the know vampire in Twilight. That. And he's a great actor. That's, he shouldn't be just known for Twilight, but that's what most people know him from. Oh, but, good. Um, is the new Batman going to be shaky cam or no? No. But my point is, he's, I think he's such, <laughs> I think he's a really, really talented and very assured director. And uh, this, I would uh, not, this is not normally my jam these kind of disaster monster movie things i don't really care one way or the other but i thought this was done so well and so creatively and i thought it would have aged more poorly because you know because it is it's the last gasp of the the camcorder you know we talk about like oh hey really they can't carry that thing around yeah, it's not a if phone yeah. that you know now with a phone sure you buy it you're like okay or that you could make a cloverfield today which is like Okay, we got cell phones. Yeah, we got iPhones from all all over the city, like oh, iPhones that were found that in the wreckage, and that and right. piecing together, together a yeah. narrative from that, you know, from a bunch of different perspectives. Mm-hmm. You know, this is what they had at the time. They went with it. It's almost like I forgive it a lot of the like, would they really film that? Would he really carry it around? Would he have not just thrown it and like just run for his life? That's where I, I only I. I'm willing to give the movie that grace because it's like, well, that's what it's predicated on. So it's like, as long as you kind of keep me going with the, no, 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 I want, I got it. I got it. I got it. Or drop it every once in a while, pick it up. You're like, no, it's gotta be documented. Gotta be documented. I can buy that from that character. And, uh, and I think it works really well, but it, it doesn't bother me any more than like when I see things in the office where it's like, 
well, would they be filming that conversation right now? Would they sure. have access to that? Play? Yeah, I'm like, ah, I go with it. And of course, that's a comedy. So you have a different kind of leeway. But sure. it did not bother me. And the shakiness never bothered me. Although I remember at the movie theater, signs up being like, please, oh, if yeah, you have a heart warnings. condition or whatever, please be careful and do wow, it at your really? own risk. It was like yeah, that kind of no, thing. Yeah, I remember that going. as well. So many people were having seizures watching it. In the, I guess on a huge screen, it's probably harder to take than uh in your living room but um i think she said i I think it's called cloverfield because at the beginning they say this was an sd card uh recovered right at the form the area formerly known as central park yes that's that's a cool very ominous way to open it's horrifying but you know what every spring in central park you have the fields of, you know, the clover, oh. right? And it and it's oh, it wow. regr- the regrowth, the rebirth. So maybe this is far enough after, you know, the nuclear winter Bravo. that now the clover is starting to grow again. And amidst Brilliant. the clover, they found the remains of T.J. Miller clutching an SD card. <laughs> that makes no sense what I just said because he died earlier. No, but that's, that's, that's my beautiful. take that's on good. it. That's really I good. I give that explanation. 27 dresses. <laughs> and Sheila's. <laughs> God. How many Sheila's do you give? I'm going to give it nine Sheila's. I'm going to give it nine. Jesus. I know. I'm, I'm living in the 8.5 realm. Yeah, I was really. I was really... almost going to go 9.5. And I'm like, no, it's, but I mean, nine is a very high score, but I, that is I love one. it. Yeah. But I love it. I was I'm very, going... very, I was pleasantly, pleasantly surprised at how much I enjoyed it this time. I'm going middling. I mean, you're going to kill me. I'm going to go no. 5.5. I'm no, going I'm middling gonna, with I'm it. Kill it's you. not my cup of tea. It's not my cup of soup. It's not my Nissen cup of noodles <laughs> oh, that boy. I like to you sit are very old. with my robe on and slurp. You're old. Thanks so much, everyone, for joining us for another episode of Opening Weekend. Next time, we travel back to the February 3rd, 1978 wide release of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And and we will list our all-time favorite Steven Spielberg films. (gasps) Very exciting. It's going to be very fun. Until then, Dan, what you got for us? Oh no! Did I you forget no- to? Benny in the Jets. Benny in the Jets. Okay, yes, we have perfect. to do that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Come good. on. We got to do that. Benny in the Jets in honor of twenty. There's a live. There's literally nothing else you could. Twenty-six do. of the twenty-seven. Theme to Cloverfield. Okay. Uh, but you, but now you know. Next week, all you have to do is literally. Yeah. What is it? Five notes. That's it. That's all I need to do over and over again. All right. Here we go. Yeah. Get faster and faster. Yeah. tribute to a wet part of a movie. (laughs) The opening weekend podcast is produced by Jason O'Connell, Fred Berman, and Dan Matisa with editing by Jason O'Connell and sound mixing by Fred Berman. Additional help and technical support provided by Ethan Duff. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 